Greetings, Actor Strike supporters, and welcome back to Tune Out. This is a podcast we're doing instead of Stay Doomed to support the Actor Strike. I am your host, as always, TV's Noah Houlihan, joined by Laura Prince. Hey, what's up? Well, last week on the show, we discussed the 50 through 26 biggest mistakes in the world of movies, according to Rolling Stones. And we are going to continue to farm this article for content and talk about numbers 1 through 25 of the worst mistakes made in the world of movies. Yeah. You excited? Yeah. Yeah. Also, hi, I'm here. I said that. I know, but I hadn't said anything yet. (laughs) Okay. So, uh... So, uh, you might notice this is coming out a little late, uh, so we're, we're... Recording this kind of late. Yes, we we apologize to all of our wonderful grave robbers who are out supporting the actor strike instead of robbing graves. We will soon return to robbing graves, but until then, let's uh, let's talk about how wrong Rolling Stones is. We'll come back to robbing graves when the producers stop robbing actors. Yeah, yeah, well support actors. So if uh, if you didn't watch the previous episode or listen to the previous episode, what's wrong with you? Go back and listen to it. But uh, this is a Rolling Stones article about the worst decisions in movie history. And uh, we already covered uh, 50 through 26. 26th being that Mel Gibson perpetuates anti-Semitic myths in The Passion of the Christ. So I just want to support or really explain, according to Rolling Stone, the following mistake, which I have not looked at yet, is worse than anti-Semitism. All right. All right, Rolling Stone, what do you got? Alien 3 gets taken away from David Fincher. (laughs) Uh, You set it up so beautifully for me, Rolling Stone. Um, I will say, I love the Alien movies. I really do. And uh, if you have the uh, quadrilogy on DVD like I do, uh, it it folds out. It's nine DVDs because each DVD is the theatrical cut and the director's cut of each movie. And then there's just like a special features disc. Uh the director's cut of Alien, Aliens, and Alien Resurrection are kind of interesting. The director's cut of Alien 3 is a different movie. Yeah? Yeah, it's completely different. Uh, it's still the worst one <laughs> of the of the four. Um, but uh, it is very different. Uh, I be- if I'm, I've, I've seen it the least, but uh, I believe the alien in Alien 3 is a cow. Okay. Like the face hugger got on a cow, so it moves a little differently and stuff like that. All right, so normal. Yeah, Alien has some uh, some cool lore, uh, but also I remember they shot the commercial first for Alien Three. I'm not sure that's the. I thought it was Alien. No, you're right. Yes, there was a there was a poster that came out far before the movie, like. The movie had not been produced. Yeah, because there was something about, like, them going to another planet or something. For some reason, I'm like, there was a wooden planet or something, but I might be thinking about it or a while. Uh, 
Uh, the original Alien launched by Ridley Scott was a titanic force in Hollywood, paving the way for Blade Runner and everything that followed. James Cameron was given the reign for Aliens. Uh, for Alien 3 in 1992, the studio handed control over to David Fincher. He spent the 80s shooting music videos for McDonough uh, and felt like he was ready for a movie, but the project had major script problems from the beginning and went through so many incarnations during pre-production. The studio began to fear it was an untested director. Uh, and they hated his initial cut, which insisted on reshoots and uh, created a new edit without his consent. Yeah, so I don't know all the details for Alien 3, but I do know that it was a mess. And uh, they done messed up. They done messed up. I think it's still worth a watch, though. I would definitely, like, Alien 3 is the worst movie in a quadrilogy. But, like, how many good four-part movies are there? Hmm. Trying to think of one. Yeah. I I can't think of any. Like Uh, Batman, the Tim Burton into Joel Schumacher, all killer, no filler. Really? Yes. Really? Yes. You're going to sit here and talk about Batman Forever being good? You're going to sit here and talk about Batman Forever being good. It's okay. (laughs) You you just want to be right. You just because you loved to not like that movie because of your love of Batman and Robin and my love for Jim Carrey's Riddler. Oh my god, I, I hate Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Oh. I just make the Riddler hot, you cowards. Eh, they gave you Gotham. He was attractive. All right, let's number move. twenty-four. Mike Myers pisses away a quarter century of audience goodwill with the Love Guru. It was not good. Um, this is a movie I've never watched in full. Uh, I, I believe it, it was on TV a lot because I know I've seen like lots and bits, bits and pieces of it. Yeah. Uh, but and I was I wanted to see it because Colbert's in it. Really, Colbert is like he because the, the story of the Love Guru is he comes in to help a hockey team. Yes. And he's one of the two announcers is Colbert. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's it's tough just because, like, I feel like we learned the trick with Mike Myers by this point. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, he's going to play a lot of, like, really silly characters. All right, we get it. And we were just tired of it when, by the time we got to this this level. Like... When Will Ferrell realized that we were sick of him being athletes, uh, he did Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah. Where's your Stranger Than Fiction, Mike Myers? When I realize how comparatively brief, when you think about it, the Will Ferrell heyday was, Stranger Than Fiction's like 07. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, the heyday of... Excuse me, 06. The heyday of Will Ferrell is really just Anchorman. Talladega Nights is still kind of Which is 06 as well. Uh, And then, like, Step Brothers is kind of the end of it. You need old school in there. Oh, and old school, of course. Um, Old school is kind of like the first one. Because Elf is late 2003. Elf is Mm -hmm. a holiday 2003 release. And he is a markedly different performer in Elf because he's not famous yet. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a whole documentary on Elf last Christmas because that's what I do when no one's home is I find, you know, weird documentaries and watch them. Yeah. 
And they were just talking about, like, nothing he had done had hit yet. Yeah. So he's not playing a Will Ferrell character in Elf. He's playing... That's why his performance is so markedly Mm -hmm. different than you're used to seeing a quote-quote Will Ferrell character play. Mm -hmm. But, like, that heyday is really just a one, two, three, four punch from, like, oh, four to, like, oh, eight. Because I remember the old school commercial, which I love to this day. It's slow-mo of Will Ferrell running through the street naked with all the terrible reviews for old school. Childish, unfunny, all this other stuff. And then it just says, the number one movie in America. Yes. Which I love that as an ad. Uh, Then Anchorman, like... Anchorman was a phenomenon for a while. And then uh, Talladega... Like, after Anchorman, it was like, let's watch whatever he does next. Yes. And then I feel like we were still with him on Blades of Glory. Because, like, it also had Napoleon Dynamite in it. Yeah, but I feel like by Blades of Glory... And Blades of Glory is 07. I I feel like the Blades of Glory is before... Blades and Glory and Semi Pro are before Step Brothers. Okay, because I thought I was pretty sure Semi Pro was when I was like, "Oh, it's just this movie again." Yes. Uh, and then Step Brother is like the last like. It's the last day. of that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're also like not even thinking about his smaller roles in Wedding Crashers, The Producers. Yeah, I mean, there was this brief time where you could sell a movie on the fact that Will Ferrell was the star. And then they waited too long to make a sequel to Anchorman. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that. Now that's where we are now. <laughs> yeah. Then, then in two thousand nine, you hit Land of the Lost, and that starts to be when things go start going. Yeah. Early. He's still kind of doing it in like the early twenty tens, but he mm-hmm. really just kind of starts to be a parody of himself at that mm-hmm. point. Do you remember when he did a special as the president? Yes, because that was based on a Broadway show. Oh, really? Uh, yes. You're Welcome, America? That mm-hmm. was a Broadway show. Like, he adapted a Broadway show to make it about George W. Bush? No. If you're famous enough, they'll just let you have a theater no, for a That's what month. I'm saying. It was a Broadway show. Yes. yes. I, I loved it. It was incredible. <laughs> yeah, the thing you've watched is just a pro shot. Yes, that's what I... I, yeah. I knew that. <laughs> I, I was... I kind of looked at it more as like a stand-up experience because it's just him on stage for a long period of time as a character. Uh, but it's incredible. And you could only do it because it was Will Ferrell. Yes, because it's something I find very interesting is if you go to... I mean, right now, it's a little bit different because now you're getting... Uh, Fascinatingly, in the musical Gutenberg that's running right now, the producer character, it's mostly just Josh Gad and Andrew Rannells, uh, but the producer character is a different cameo every night. Mm. And because of the actor strike, it can be literally anyone. Yeah. It was Nathan Lane two weeks ago. Oh, wow. Playing Max Bialystok. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> um, that's incredible. And it's it's been... Pretty much like anyone who happens to be around. Oh, that applause break must have been insane. There's some say they're still there. (laughs) I love that we were like, oh yeah, let's just talk about Will Ferrell instead of Mike Myers. That's how bad that movie is. Like, it really does tank his career. He had a show on Netflix recently that's real terrible that we'll probably cover at one point. Uh, But yeah, like, the magic was gone. 
by the time he made that movie, and then it was bad. The Magnificent Ambersons gets butchered. That's number 23. I have no idea what we're talking about. It's a... Uh, it appears to be a an Orson Welles joint. Mm. It's from the 40s, which I believe would mean it's in the Hayes Code era. Because it says they added a... Hap- yes, it would be during the Hayes Code era. Because that's in 34. Oh. So it says they added in a happy ending. They chopped out nearly an hour. Oof. So to me, the studio didn't like his version of the movie. My guess is that the movie probably violated the Hayes Code up, down, and sideways. Yeah. And it was probably unreleasable. Having a sad ending was not really common in films, especially a villain wins ending. Yeah, I mean, Citizen Kane isn't a happy ending. Casablanca isn't a happy ending. But it's not a evil wins and good loses ending. Yes. I mean, you could have a bittersweet ending, Mm -hmm. but you couldn't have a downer ending. Yes. Because uh, famously, the film The Bad Seed. Yeah. In the play, the evil little girl just kind of gets away with it. Mm. In the movie, she's hit by lightning because evil has to be punished. Yeah. Literally deuces machina. <laughs> so that's why in the late 60s into the 70s, you get so many dark, bleak endings where the bad guy wins. Because mm-hmm. it's new and exciting. Yes. And then by the 80s, we have done that to death. And yeah. then cyclical. And then joy returns. The 80s and 90s were all good guy wins movies. And then the 2000s and the 2010s were all gritty, dark reboots. Yeah. 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 So maybe, are we in the time of joy now? I think we're hitting an optimism era. Yeah. I just saw Midsommar. That was really bright. Number. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I would argue that, you know, protagonist wins. Yeah. It's just what does winning mean in that case? <laughs> Uh, number 22, The Good Earth cast white people as Chinese farmers. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, this picture's pretty damning. <laughs> oh, they mentioned the Hays Code. Oh, well, there you go. The movie makers tried to blame the Hays Code for forcing them to not have any characters in mixed race relationships. Oh. Well, I've never heard of this film, and this is terrible. But it's definitely not the first movie I think of when it comes to this issue. First movie I think of is Breakfast at Tiffany's. Breakfast at Tiffany's. And then didn't didn't we have uh, John Wayne as Genghis Khan? We did. That's a real thing we did. Yeah. So yeah, don't do this. <laughs> uh, I think this is one of those... This is a, an article written in 2023. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's something a little unfair about saying this about a movie made in the early 40s. Yeah, like, they kind of are claiming there was outrage then, but was there? This is saying, in the years that followed, the studio tried to argue they wanted to use Chinese actors, but felt Americans weren't ready for such a movie. A- and... I mean, we're still arguing about movies with non-white casts. Mm -hmm. Like, there's still any time... You know, in 2023, we had to listen to people complain on the internet because The Little Mermaid was black. Yeah. Like, so... 
I'm not surprised they didn't think they were there in 1940, 1941. Yeah. I mean, I will say... Whatever I, the truth is, it's time for a remake with an actual Chinese cast. Yeah. I could agree with that. Yeah. Like, I will say, I went to a, an, an acting high school, and my freshman year, I remember, like, being taught accents, because what if I had to play a Chinese character? Because that was just a thing that could happen then. <laughs> now... That is a useless skill, and I will never use that voice because it's wrong to do so. So, like, the idea that when I was in high school, like, we were still being taught that, and then to kind of say, like, in 1931, people were like, ooh, we should probably have some correctly uh, ethnic actors here. I find that hard to believe. Uh, Shall we move on to 2021? Yes. Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway are handed the wrong envelope of the Academy Awards. Again, the thing that follows racism (laughs) is always like a a whoops. How did this affect the movie business in any way? If anything, this helped the Oscars. Because the Oscars at this point was a boring show that nobody watched. Yeah. And now the idea that maybe something crazy like this will happen is a reason to watch the Oscars. If you don't know, they said that... La La Land. La La Land won, but it was really Moonlight. And that's the whole story, and it's not a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, like... I believe... The stage manager had to run out on stage and tell the La La Land producers the Moonlight actually won. As someone who has stage managed for a lot of her life. (laughs) That is a nightmare. Reading that sentence made me sick to my stomach. That's probably 21 on her list of worst things to ever happen to her. I feel like it might. Maybe even higher. Yeah, like, could you imagine being that? Gary Natoli, could you imagine being Gary Natoli at that night? I just remember. Oh God! I just remember the guy giving the speech, is like saying thank you for all this stuff, and then he hears it behind him and he goes, "Oh, and also we lost." <laughs> <laughs> and he steps away. There's been a mistake. Moonlight has won. Like I'm just. Is it weird that like I sympathize so hard with the guy who had to run out and tell them? Yes, because that's that's the person who's having a bad day. Because and that like that's also the position I would be in, if that makes sense. So that's why I'm thinking like, oh god, could you imagine if I had to run out there and do that? I'd throw up on my shoes. I'd throw up on the director of La La Land's shoes. I'd throw up on Warren Beatty's shoes. <laughs> Think of all the shoes I'd have to vomit on. <laughs> Next. <laughs> oh, Faye Dunaway's here. <laughs> Let's just move on. <laughs> Number 20, Once Upon a Time in America, cut beyond recognition for its American release. I don't know this one. It's Orson Welles again. What's wrong? <laughs> um, It's not. Uh, this is Sergio Leone, who's uh, known for the spaghetti western. Okay. And he made a crime epic called Once Upon a Time in America, and it was four hours and 29 minutes originally. No. And they cut it down by about two hours and change. Yeah, that's that's dumb. Uh, don't make movies that long. I've sat through Magnolia. It's fine. <laughs> it says if the studio had just trusted Leone 
and allowed his version of the movie back in 1984, history would have unfolded very differently. History would have? <laughs> no, because, like, it would just be a different crime movie that guys pretend they've seen and mansplain to girls. Yeah. I've never seen The Godfather. <laughs> Will you explain it to I'll me? I'll explain it to Can you. Can we watch it together while you talk over it? I uh, I was watching something today. I was watching some uh, YouTube essay, and it was sponsored by Mubi, who doesn't sponsor us, so you're welcome. Uh, and it's like a streaming platform for like independent film. And they were like, uh, you can see this film, which is 13 hours long. Oh, my God. And tells 13 one-hour stories. And I went, that's a TV show. (laughs) Why are you doing this? Why are we pretending? (laughs) Yeah, that is in fact a TV show. That's what a TV show exactly is. Maybe we could do it for Stay Doomed. That'd be funny. No. Okay. I tried. (laughs) I tried. Uh, Moving on. Oh, boy. Whoopi Goldberg teams up with the dinosaur detective, Theodore Rex. Um, I no. mean, <laughs> yeah, because you you think about like, okay, you know, I'll I'll kind of give that it was the worst decision Whoopi Goldberg may have ever made. Yeah. There was a time where Whoopi Goldberg was the second most recognizable person on Earth. She was only behind the Pope. Yeah, because she did... She did really well. Yeah. For a while. I mean, she was in Ghost. Mm -hmm. And she was in Sister Act. Yeah. Like, she was a major... And that's not even counting, like, things like The Color Purple. Color Purple, yeah. She was in the late 80s, early 90s, an incredibly marketable star. hmm And this kind of starts to evaporate with this movie. I mean, yeah, I could see it being... It, it's a bad movie. It is. Uh, but I believe she doesn't ever kiss the dinosaur. So how is this worse than Howard the Duck? Fair. That's yeah. fair. Because if it wasn't for this movie, the Whoopi Goldberg cinematic universe would have taken off, you know? You gotta listen to the previous episode to get that joke. Uh, I've never seen Theodore Rex, but it was always at the video store and a thing I considered. I'm not surprised by that. I can't believe this is only number 18. Oh, alright. The Hayes Code. Yeah, how... I guess because it ended... (laughs) I mean, so this is saying the Hayes Code wasn't lifted until 1968, which, yes and no. Mm -hmm. Uh, By the late 50s, movies were starting to play fast and loose with the Hayes Code. Uh, Some Like It Hot is actually very commonly cited as having a number of, quote, quote, violations of the Hayes Code. Right. Uh, It it started to be like, well, you can violate it if you're good enough at stuff. Mm -hmm. But it was... Technically voluntary, but it was kind of like the NC-17 rating today. Yeah, like of you couldn't get the film be anywhere exhibited. Yeah, or the AO rating on the uh, video game. Yeah, and 
it's fascinating because people think of like the wholesome 50s because this, they're only seeing the pop culture that came out of it where they couldn't use those words or commit acts of violence. Uh, apparently, I haven't seen a lot of movies from uh, pre-World War II, pre-Depression, but apparently they were wild. Yeah. Yeah, they were not wholesome. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've talked about the Hays Code throughout this whole list, so the fact that it only shows up at 18 is a bit odd. Number 17. Gus Van Sant creates a shot-for-shot remake of Psycho. See, I can kind of get behind this, because what an unbelievable waste of everyone's time. Yeah, it's a weird decision. Uh, Like, the only thing that's different is the performances. And the color. Yeah. Like, it's in color, so a lot of it doesn't... Like, the shower scene doesn't work right anymore. No, it doesn't. Because of the color. And what's incredible is, I saw this first. Really? I did. I did see this first. Uh, and when I watched the original, the actor who plays Norman Bates in the original is incredible. He truly is. Like, Vince Vaughn's a great actor, but like... You can't compete with that. You, Anthony Perkins is so incredibly unsettling. Mm-hmm. Just so talented and so charming. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Like the. It's such a foolish idea to just be like, yeah, let's just do a shot-for-shot shot remake. Uh, if you like shot-for-shot shot remakes, check out our episode on the greatest moment in television history, hey. which recreates shot-for-shot shot, uh, different TV show theme songs. I mean, in a way, that show is making fun of this directly. Yes. <laughs> and, so, and that has Jeff Probst in it, so it's way better. <laughs> number 16. Yes. Jar Jar. I can kind of agree with this because Jar Jar Binks is very clearly a toy. Yes. In like, it, it's the thing that you point to that's like, this is what makes this Star Wars different. Yeah. Is Jar Jar Binks because I remember me and my buddy Anthony went to see uh, Phantom Menace opening day. Oh, yeah. And... uh I thought it was fine. The first, like, I tend to just enjoy being at the movies. Yes. Like, I saw X-Men Origins Wolverine and thought it was a good movie, and it wasn't until later that I realized it was bad. Yeah, when, after you saw it again. After I saw it again. And the thing that, like, really made me turn the corner of this is my buddy said, this Star Wars is too modern. Okay. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like... Where? How did they learn the phrase, there's always a bigger fish? And I was like, eh, okay. And then he goes, why does Jar Jar give a thumbs up? And that did really hit me. Because huh. it's there to just be like, look, a funny thing happened. But that look, a funny thing happened in our language instead of creating a world, which is what the original Star Wars did. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't think about that that way. It was one of the the most, like, insightful things he ever said to me. So, like, whenever I think of Jar Jar Binks, I think of him giving a thumbs up. 
I also think of the pool towel I had because I big had a big Jar Jar towel. Yeah. Um, because the other thing I think of with Jar Jar Binks is there's a, a scene in The Simpsons where a comic book guy is going to sleep and he goes, Oh, Jar Jar, everyone hates you but me. <laughs> and I just always thought it was funny to be the guy who liked Jar Jar Binks. So I was that guy for a little bit. Really? Yeah. Because, like, I, I loved... Because I was very young when Phantom Menace came out, mm-hmm. which I feel like is really important. Because I really liked it. But I was also a child. Mm-hmm. But I was, like, all in on Queen Amidala. Yeah. Oh, I thought she was so cool, and she was only 14. And I thought the thing with her handmaidens was so cool that they mm-hmm. all could pass for each other. And I just... I had, and might still have somewhere, a whole bucket of Star Wars action figures. But I don't believe I owned Jar Jar. I had Qui-Gon. I had Darth Maul. <laughs> Did not have Jar Jar. I definitely had Obi-Wan Kenobi, because like, I definitely had Obi-Wan Kenobi. Because I, I had a crush on Ewan McGregor in oh, that yeah. movie. Because I will also say, like, I had a very interesting Star Wars fandom. In that, like, I... Never watched them until the remake came out. Like, the the special editions. And I remember, like, I've always felt like Star Wars should be a thing I love. Yeah. Because, I think because of Muppet Babies, honestly. Yeah. And I made a deal with my parents that if I, like, did well in school, they had to take me to see all three movies. And they did. And I loved them. And then I went and saw this. And then chose not to see episode two and three. So, like, (laughs) you could say that, like, Jar Jar stunted my growth as a Star Wars fan. Because I didn't see episodes two and three until I got booked to do a comedy movie trivia show. And it was like, it's going to be Star Wars themed. You're a nerd, right? You can do this. I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. So I got a I got a Luke Skywalker costume together, and it's you got a Luke Sky you pulled out I got Luke's, my Luke Skywalker you pulled out a Luke together. Skywalker costume you already owned, uh, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this, and then it slowly dawned on me that I had never seen two or three, so I bought them and watched them and showed up to this show with new rage for a thing that everyone else had already gotten over. About how bad those movies were. I love that for you. I was like, listen, I just saw it. I got a lot of feelings. I know you're all over it. But sand is everywhere. I didn't have a lot to say about some of the other ones. So we spent a lot of time on on Star Wars. Number 15. MGM gets a teenage Judy Garland hooked on prescription pills. What? Yes. Um, this was unfortunately common practice with young stars. Yeah. Uh, because they essentially wanted you skinny and mm. awake when they wanted you awake. And then they'd given you so many uppers, you they'd give you downers to sleep. Mm. So she was on drugs for a lot of her young adulthood. That is... And then she only... She was only 47 when she died. I did not know that. Why? That's horrible. And, like, you don't know that because when you see videos of her toward the end of her life, 
she seems considerably older. Right. Like, Judy Garland in, like, you know, she died in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, she looks like I'm showing Noah a picture of her toward the end of her life. Yeah, I could I could believe that she was... I mean, when you think of what a 47-year-old Hollywood star with every resource looks like now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is uh, this is truly horrible. Uh, this is worse than Jar Jar Binks, I would say. Yes. Um, she was far from the only person they did it to. Yeah. Uh, but she was one of the most famous yeah. cases. Um, it's tragic and I feel weird... Okay, the next one's yeah, at least stand, a decision. It stands for itself, and we'll just leave it at that. Columbia Pictures passes on E.T., Back to the Future, and Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that's a that's a bummer for them. Um, those movies still exist. <laughs> so, I don't know. I feel like they went to places that could make those movies into successes. I mean... It might have been a bad decision for Columbia. Yeah. Like, Spielberg, Tarantino, and Zemeckis didn't make bad decisions. Oh, number 13. Breakfast at Tiffany's casts Mickey Rooney's Japanese caricature. Yeah. And I said, what about Breakfast at Tiffany's? Uh, Yeah, it's bad. I've seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, Yes. That movie's way more fun than you think it's going to be when you put it in. Really? Yeah. Like, I'm surprised you didn't know it was a comedy. I mean, like, I saw it when I was... Oh, I know exactly when I saw it. I saw it when I was a senior in uh, high school because we were doing Comedy of Errors. Comedy of Errors? No, we were doing much to do about nothing, but we were setting it in 60s Hollywood. So to get the vibe, we watched Breakfast at Tiffany's and we watched whatever that, uh, who's the girl from Bridget Jones' Diary? Renee Zellweger. Yeah, whatever that Renee Zellweger fake 60s movie was. Down with Love? Yes, we watched Down with Love. And we're like, this is the vibe we're going for. And we are, we all just kind of watched it like, this might be bad. <laughs> and you know what? It wasn't great. <laughs> I feel like I remembered enjoying Down With Love, but I also feel like it was very meta. Down With Love is a good movie. Uh, it you, you don't leave that movie thinking, wow, let's set a Shakespeare play in this world. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, in any case, uh, I remember just like, Breakfast at Tiffany's is just like, it's one of those movies I had always heard about and I knew it was an old movie, so I wasn't expecting much out of it. But like, they're running around in animal masks being silly and stuff. Like, it's a fun movie. Uh, Mickey Rooney does not need to do this, though. And uh, it's played for laughs, which is worse. Like, it's a bad time. Yeah. Number 12! Oh, future Stay Doomed episode. <laughs> Somewhere deep in the future, uh, Jerry Lewis tries to make the Holocaust funny. 
I, I find the first couple of sentences so fascinating here. Quote, as Mel Brooks proved with the producers in 1967, there's nothing wrong with making a funny movie about Hitler and the Nazis. Roberto Benigni proved it's even possible to make a comedy about the Holocaust itself with 1997's Life is Beautiful. But it requires a very delicate touch and the right tone. This is about the day the clown cried. The mm-hmm. 1972 movie that Jerry Lewis plays a German clown that winds up escorting Jewish children into the gas chambers. The movie never came out and Jerry Lewis was like, this will never come out. But it will eventually hit the public domain. Yes. And this this is the holy grail. Sorry, turn on. <laughs> this is the holy grail of media to me. Uh, I think also just because it is to me because I'm such a fan of Jerry Lewis. It's, uh, it was donated to the Library of Congress in 2015. There is no complete negative of the film. Uh, and the film cannot be screened until June 2024. June 2024? Yes. <laughs> That's in less than a year! Yeah. Oh my god, really? <laughs> I thought it was much further down the line than that. I mean... Field trip. Field like I, trip. I fully get that this was like an attempt to process something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those things of it probably has. Uh, the Library of Congress has stated they will not be able to loan uh, the film to other theaters or museums without permission from the Lewis estate. Oh. Uh, but they do intend to eventually screen it at its audiovisual conservation campus in Culpeper, Virginia. It's what now? Get in the car. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not. I don't even care about watching this movie. I just want to go there. Oh, okay. I want to go to there. Um, and certain successful versions, like the producers, Mel Brooks is a Jewish creator, processing. 20 years later, the horror of what happened Yeah, by making fun of Hitler and reducing Hitler to the butt of a joke. Yeah. Like, to the point where springtime for Hitler was just this, like, was a shorthand joke for that kind of humor for a long time. Right. Number 11. John Travolta's allowed to make a Scientology propaganda movie. Yes. Battlefield Earth, a film that I loved. (laughs) Travolta, like, legitimately doesn't regret making it. No, like, (laughs) yeah, it's it's not a great movie. Uh, I saw it when I was young. It's a decent Nickelodeon space comedy. Like, the things I remember of it is, like, the world is completely, like, taken over by these aliens. And no one remembers what the world used to be. So, like, the rebels escape and they fight a dinosaur, but it's like a miniature golf course because they don't know what it is. And, like, at one point they, they steal a jet and they're flying over the country. And they're like, well, you know, we'll be able to get there once we see Arizona. We'll know we're there because there's these big black lines separating the states. <laughs> like, like stuff like that. I was like, this is really funny. <laughs> but you're supposed to, like, take it seriously. 
And I remember the ending being like tragic. I, I remember we rented it and I watched it twice. <laughs> like, I really enjoyed this film. Um, I also have some literature that I want you to read. Uh, it's a personality test, actually. I'm good. <laughs> All right. Fine. Is it a BuzzFeed test? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm no, just... I'm good. I need to know. Will it tell me which Taylor Swift album I have? No, on? no. It'll tell you about your thetans. Okay, but like which Disney print, princess mixed with which Taylor Swift album? Because no. they're getting desperate on those buzzfeed <laughs> y'all. It's now like what, like what Pixar character? Everyone is one Pixar character and one Eldritch Abomination. What combination are you? <laughs> I'm a Cthulhu lamp. Any case, do you have any feelings towards Battlefield Earth? Did you see it? No, uh, I didn't see it. It's um, great. You want to watch it for the show? No. Right. Uh, <laughs> I I think it's hysterical that John Travolta is like, I don't regret it. He wants to make the sequel still. Yeah. Yeah. Scientology. Number 10. Yeah, this was legitimately a very bad decision. Using real untrained lions in the Melanie Griffith movie Roar. Um... Is that person being eaten by a lion? Yes, that is uh, famous actor Melanie Griffin. Melanie Griffith being eaten by a lion. <laughs> okay. Um, everybody got very, very injured. By lions? Yes. Um, cast, crew, lions. Lions, yeah. They used to feed people to them as punishment. <laughs> yeah, and they didn't use, like trained, for want of a better term, actor lions. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah they just, just were like, here, here's some lions. Just off the street lions. <laughs> well, this is dumb. Yeah, that's a legitimate bad decision. Yeah. Oh, uh, we're getting into like the true bad decision. We're in the now. top ten, so we should. Number nine. <sighs> Ronald Reagan tells the House Un-American Activities Committee... The Screen Actors Guild is full of communists. Oh, yes. This was a terrifying time. Yeah. When, like, everyone... You could be blacklisted for anything. Yeah, and, like... Because I, I remember... What was that movie? The Majestic? It's about Jim Carrey and the, the communist witch hunt. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, the whole thing, like, they go through this big trial of him. And he basically tries to explain that, he, like, he joined this club that, in, in school, that then had communist ties. And he explained that he was just trying to, like, impress a girl. And he kind of, like, they let him go because he gave him a name. And he's like, I didn't give any names, like... You gave a name of that girl. And, like, he has this moment of, like, oh, my God, I just ruined this girl's life. And they go, well, who do you think gave your name? And it was just like, oh, this is all just, you know, a snake eating its tail. Just let's all point fingers at one another until we're all dead. Yeah, everyone names names to get the heat off themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Walt Disney famously testified in front of the House of Un-American Activities Committee. Really? Uh, yeah, he... Did he point with two fingers at people? Because <laughs> <laughs> there is a viewpoint that Walt Disney's 
fabled anti-Semitism was actually just incredible anti-union sentiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, because after the Disney animators went on strike in the early 40s, uh, Walt hated him some unions. Yeah. The strike was ultimately resolved while he was in South America. Roy mm. fixed it while he was gone. Yeah. I mean, that's why Walt Disney would do things like, I'm going to have my own city and I'm running my way. I mean, when you really think about it, Walt Disney was insane. Oh, yeah. He's a crazy person. Uh, because I've studied the Epcot Project extensively. Mm-hmm. Dude was nuts. Oh, yeah. Like, the Epcot Project is absolute lunacy of just, like, everybody has a job that they are assigned and they do it happily and no one is upset about it. There are, uh, you cannot own. Yeah, everything's rented. Like, it's a company store. Everyone must work. Like, you cannot retire in Epcot. So what do they do? Take you out and shoot you? It's very communism. Like, (laughs) yeah, and, like, with shades of Logan's Run. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing else to say. Uh, the House of Un-American Activities Committee was a bad decision. Yeah. And, uh, Ronald Reagan... Messed it up. Yeah. Ronald Reagan, the actor? Uh, number eight. Warner Brothers loses Home Alone to Fox over a measly $3 million. Yes. The only top ten grossing movie not written by Serendipity. Yeah. I used to specialize in entertainment. For example, I'm responsible for 19 of the 20 top grossing films of all time. 19? Yeah, th- the one about the kid by himself in his house, burglars trying to come in and he fights them off. Ah! I had nothing to do with that one. Somebody sold their soul to Satan to get the grosses up on that piece of shit. If you've never seen the movie Dogma, go watch the movie Dogma. Yeah, go on, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Home Alone. God, what a powerhouse that was at the box office. That made ridiculous money. Uh, Nearly half a billion dollars. Yes, and like half a billion dollars in 1990 money. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to understand. Yeah. I'm going to pull up my good buddy, the inflation calculator. And that's, that's with one star in it. Like, it's really just Joe Pesci. Yes. And he's not the star of the movie. No. Like, it's insane how well this movie... Yeah, Macaulay Culkin is no one at this point. This is the the breakout star for him. Yeah, like, he was, you know, the kid in one... He was, like, in a couple things. Yeah, but, like, he wasn't, like, a bankable name or anything. No, no, no. Not, like, the powerhouse he became when he started doing, like, Richie Rich and The Good Son and Getting Back at Dad and Home Alone 2. Yeah. I used to look like Macaulay Culkin, so I knew all his films. Yeah, that's $1.2 billion in today money. Yeah. That's like Avengers money. Yeah. It cost $18 million to make this movie. (laughs) Which is not Avengers money. No. Like, that's... $43 $43 million of today money. Which actually seems like a lot for that movie, but... Yeah. It's... It's insane. And, like, everything in this movie is practical effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this movie was probably a little bit elaborate to shoot. And when you do have a child star, there are difficulties in yeah. filming. Uh, movies with child stars are by nature more expensive because... Mm-hmm. 
they had a certain number of hours they could use Macaulay Culkin and that's it. Mm -hmm. So movie starring children do have that added expense of it is just a longer shoot. It has to be legally a longer shoot. Um, Plus they had the light Joe Pesci on fire. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, Home Alone is still like a big Christmas movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although I do like Home Alone 2 more. I like Home Alone 2 more as well. Uh, I find Home Alone 2 to just be on the whole a better film. Yeah, I, I think the the message is better. Uh, I think the, the, the spirit of Christmas is more strong in it. Uh, and Marv getting hit with bricks is so funny to me. And they cut it out whenever it's on TV. I mean, I have this very um, personal... When my family took mm. me up to see the Rockettes, right. we took a bus tour. Like, we took, like, a charter bus. We used to do that a lot when I was a kid because my mom didn't know how the train system worked. So she'd get we'd get on these charter buses, those big, like, Peter Pan buses. Mm. And on the way up to Radio City Music Hall, they showed Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. And it was just, like, to watch it and then to immediately go there and see it. Mm-hmm. And then to get physically dragged away from Tiffany's because they <laughs> used the Tiffany's storefront for Duncan's yeah. toy shop and how they had to break my heart and tell me it wasn't a toy store. Yeah. And like, I made quite a scene. Yeah. Like, let's be, let's be glad cell phone cameras didn't exist because yeah. they'd be like, somebody on TikTok would have been like, this woman's abusing mm-hmm. this child. I'd have been like, I want to go in Duncan's toy store. Plus Tim Curry. Tim Curry's great. Tim Curry's great in it. He does everything with that small role. Rob Schneider's in that movie. And he's, and he's good. He's really good in that movie. Young Rob Schneider's great. Watch Surf Ninjas. Number seven. Did I say this as a prediction? Because this is something I wanted to say as a prediction. I don't remember. I don't think yeah. I wrote it down. The Twilight Zone. I movie. actually almost just brought this up while talking about child actors. Yeah. I was going to go... There were a lot more laws after the Twilight Zone. (laughs) Yeah, and here is why. The Twilight Zone movie fails to take proper safety precautions. An adult and two children die in it. I believe, it's going to tell me, but I believe it was a helicopter accident? Yeah. It's a gruesome helicopter accident. Yeah. Um, Uh, Absolutely horrible. Uh, And uh, the movie's not good. It's Dan Aykroyd's in it, which is, like, really strange. Uh, But, yeah, the Twilight Zone movie, uh, in terms of anthology movies, are not... There's there's nothing special in this. It doesn't feel Twilight Zone-y, because it's also in color. And, like, like, there were also just so many corners cut mm -hmm. in the making of this film. Yeah. Like, it's truly revolting. Yeah. I mean, there's no getting around. This is me trying not to talk about, like, the actual sad part. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, there's no getting around. This was a truly, mm-hmm. truly bad decision. Yeah. And uh, uh, I pulled up IMDb for this, and Vic Morrow said, I must be out of my mind to be doing this. I should have asked for a stunt double. Oof. Um... And apparently, he allegedly said he always had a premonition he was going to die in a helicopter crash. Oh. I would simply not sign on to a film that had helicopters. Yeah. But that's just me. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, the blame here is firmly at the feet of director John Landis. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not, according to Rolling Stone, file the legal paperwork for the child actors. Ugh. Like, this movie does kick off a lot of the laws we see protecting child actors. If something isn't safe, it is the right and responsibility of every actor or crew member to yell cut. But somehow that wasn't as bad of a decision as firing Phil Lord and Christopher Miller from Solo. God, this isn't even the worst Star Wars thing. (laughs) You're going to say Solo, a movie that has been forgotten for the most part. I have not, as a Star Wars guy, have not seen Solo. Uh... I will have to do a game show in 10 years and I'll buy the Blu-ray or whatever. Uh, But Solo's effect on the Star Wars legacy versus Jar Jar Binks is like so obvious. Because really all most people remember about the Solo movie was that Donald Glover was Lando and people were like, oh yeah, that was really good casting. That is all I could tell you about. Was that movie any good? Like... Nobody remembers anything about that movie. And that we see the, the whatever, what is it called? The, the something run? The, the castle run. The castle run. We actually see it. Which I remember when this got announced, everyone was like, they're just going to show the castle run. Just let it live in infamy. Do not show it to us. And then they immediately do. Uh, yeah, I, this is misplaced. <laughs> I will say number five is truly a bad decision. Okay. Matt Damon turns down Avatar, and he would have gotten 10% of the back end. Ooh, yeah. So he lost a quarter billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and now, you know, Matt Damon is bankrupt and penniless. No, wait, no, he made millions of dollars off the Bourne franchise. Excuse me. <laughs> it still, still sucks. It's a bad decision, but it's like... He could have had more millions of dollars. Yeah. Number four. Will Smith slaps Chris Rock at the Academy Awards. I'm going to be honest and still say that the decision that killed two children is worse. Yeah, I will as well. Uh, I will say that, like, I have almost no respect for Will Smith now. And, like, this is probably the one that affected me the most. Because I then had to go to through a month of open mics of people being like, I'm going to slap a comic. And I have to be like, no, we're not doing that. I had so many people pitch, like, I got this great idea. You do stand-up and then I slap you. I'm like, no. Ugh. I hated that this happened. Uh, I remember you having some anxiety that oh, yeah. people were just going to think it's okay. Like I remember someone yelling at me. Uh, you have comics. Oh, your comics are the people that named their uh, their specials triggered, and now you're afraid of being slapped. And I was like, first off, I didn't do that, and secondly, those comics name their special things like triggered because if you don't like that, you won't go. Yeah, think of it as a warning, like up front, like some sort of trigger warning. <laughs> Saying that you shouldn't be at this show. And if you hate it, that's fine. Let it exist over there and don't go attacking people. I 
I mean, I always consider it a warning. This is going to be terribly unfunny. Yeah, and it's fine that you feel that way. And, like, I will most likely agree with you. I don't remember which comic named their thing that. Oh, I think it was, like, briefly everyone and their cat was naming it that. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, trigger warning as a, uh, a title that, like, more offensive comedians were using. And while I'm not a huge fan of those comics, there are people who are, and it is preventing people who are not fans of them from accidentally going. It was for the greater good. The greater good. Slapping Chris Rock did nothing but horrible things. And now we still have to hear about it because it turns out that him and Jada Pinkett Smith broke up seven years ago? So what's the point of any of this? Everything I have learned about that relationship is against my will. Other than it did give you a reason to watch the Oscars, which are boring. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. Number three. Blockbuster gets an offer to buy Netflix for $50 million yeah. in 2000 and turns it down. Yeah. Could you imagine if they had just done it and we would still have wonderful Blockbuster around? Yeah. I miss you, Blockbuster video. I think of you often. I have a hat <laughs> from you. Uh, I like My buddy Kevin lived across the street from one of the last Blockbusters. And like, I remember every time I went to his house, I was like, so it's still there, huh? And he's like, yeah, it's still there. And then when it finally closed, he bought the gumball machine out of it. Yeah, they, when, down the street from my school was one that hung out until like 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. And I remember going and I bought a couple of movies because I was a broke kid. Mm-hmm. But I remember having the thought of like, I want to buy the stuff. Yeah, I want I the thing. buy the blockbuster stuff. Mm-hmm. And I did get things imported from yeah. the last blockbuster and bend because when we go to magfest one of my favorite things that is always there is the blockbuster pokemon snap sticker printer and it's like oh baby eventually those sticker tabs are gonna run out but i love that this is here we saw one yeah that's what i'm talking about yeah and like i stared at it for like an uncomfortably long time Mm -hmm. like like it was the arc of the cover it was like looking at a time machine yeah like it was was like you can't exist anymore yeah and i was just like hi i still like it was like looking at like a loved one long past where you're like i still think of you Mm -hmm. and then it gave me some ice drops and then we did the bartman together it was crazy (laughs) cream Uh, savers are back So yeah, Blockbuster, you done messed up there. You could still be around. Instead of when I wear my hat and kids ask me if it's a cryptocurrency. Number two. Burt Reynolds turns down James Bond, The Godfather, Star Wars, Pretty Woman, and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He had to do Gator. Look. He's still a very famous actor. (laughs) Until the day he passed. He was still Burt effing Reynolds. Yeah, like... And also, I think he would have been a terrible James Bond. And he felt he would have been a bad Bond. And I think he would have been bad in Star Wars. And... He was supposed to be the Richard Gere character in Pretty Woman? Because no. 
They would have kept the original ending. <laughs> it, where he throws her out? Where he's just like, and now I'm done with you. That's, that's how the Burt Reynolds version of Pretty Woman would have ended. And then that movie would be forgotten. And one flew over the cuckoo's... He was supposed to do the, the Jack Nicholson role? Apparently. I'm glad we live in this universe instead of the one where that exists. Yeah. Like, this is... Thank you, Burt Reynolds. Is all I want to hear. Yeah, like, I think... And, like, I guess he would have been Han Solo? Yeah. The fact that Burt Reynolds was not Han Solo is worse than all those people who died. I'm I'm upset now. I'm I'm real upset. And now I'm worried that number one is going to be that they canceled Freaks and Geeks. Just again. Like, there is no Freaks and Geeks movie. I'm I'm so terrified at what's number one if that's number two. Number one. Oh, let me scroll. Let Freaks me scroll. and Geeks movie canceled. No. <laughs> no, actually, you did bring this oh, on. I did. Yay. Racist movie The Conqueror gives its cast cancer, probably, definitely killed John Wayne. Wait a minute. What? That's well, not even the racism part. Well, John Wayne played Genghis Khan. Yeah. Uh, it was written for Marlon Brando. Um, but they shot the movie at a nuclear testing site. Ooh. And uh, 41% of the crew developed cancer, and 21% died from that cancer. Oh my god. Yeah, that's bad. Like, I I would agree that's the word. Like, I I think this wins because it was both kinds of bad decision that they talked about in this. Yeah, it's every kind of bad decision. It's a bad casting decision that's kind of like, tee-hee, bad casting, but it was also like, an irresponsible, critical misstep. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so that's going to do it. Yeah. That, that's the list. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, Burt Reynolds was way too high. Um, <laughs> uh, I, had, I had a few hits. I had a few... Uh, I don't remember what I suggested. I know mine episode. were... Like, I don't think we had Crash. No. Because uh, I was good saying that Crash winning the Oscar was going to be one. I thought they were going to apologize for Mommy Dearest winning the, the Razzie. Um, but, like, one of mine was, like, number 49. I know that. Like, I almost immediately hit the board. Bless you. Yeah. Yeah, it was the, the casting thing where Will Smith turned down the, the Matrix. Yes. <laughs> and then later he would really screw up by slapping Chris Rock. Uh, Yeah, he's two of them. Yeah. He's 4% of the biggest mistakes. Yeah, what a mistake. (laughs) They boiled down all of Burt Reynolds' bad mistakes into one. (laughs) Yeah, this was a very interesting list. Uh, I don't think it knew what it wanted to be. Uh, And there's some mood whiplash in some of these. But thank you so much for joining us for uh, this edition of uh, Tune Out, where we looked into the... 50 Worst Decisions of Movies. Next week, Rolling Stone will be doing the top 50 worst mistakes in sports. I'm kidding. And we're not going to do that we're one not because do I that. literally would not know. <laughs> they traded Babe Ruth. Uh, in sure. any case. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for another edition of Tune Out, what we're doing to... Because we're not allowed to do struck work for Stay Doomed anymore. Uh, hopefully... 
The actors get everything they want, and we can return to our regularly scheduled programming soon. But until then, where can people find us? You can email us at the Stay Doomed Show at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Stay Doomed. And if you want to tell me where you would cast Burt Reynolds in a classic film, I am at Plus Two Comedy on Twitter. If you think there's just an unacceptable dissonance in lists like that between things that are kind of funny and things that are horrific, I'm at Priorities. Until next time, stay doomed. Tune out! Oh, yeah. <laughs>